This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Ragcast Outdoors, everybody. I'm Patrick Edwards and I have a special guest host today who you've all heard from before. I have my buddy Seth Ewing. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah. I like to consider myself the uh, the poor man's David Merrill. <laughs> <laughs> the poor man's David Merrill. Well, hey, you know that works. David's on the road again. Uh, he's got a lot going on, and so he's staying busy. But Seth and I have been talking about a couple of different subjects over the years, and it just keeps coming back to this one particular one. So we're going to talk about that today. But before I jump into that too much... I want to say congratulations, Seth, is becoming the Ragcast blog writer. So congratulations for doing that, and thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to get to share some of the knowledge that's been given to me, and we've got some fun topics that we'll be releasing some blog posts about. I think the first one that should be releasing pretty soon here, because it's the season, is how to start mushroom hunting or some tips and advice for starting mushroom hunting. So I'm getting really excited myself. May is morel season here in northern Idaho. And, you know, I kind of stumbled into the hobby or pastime or obsession, <laughs> uh, depending on who you ask. You know, years ago, just was fixing a fence and saw some morels. And it, it's been a pastime of mine for the last 20 plus years, which was pretty wild to think about when I was writing the blog post. So yeah, good things about that. Some other ones that are coming down the pike should be, you know, tips for uh, starting backpacking or teaching someone to backpack. I got married fairly recently. And that's been one of the topics on my mind because my wife grew up in the outdoors, but wasn't a backpacker. So how do you introduce someone to the things you love and have hopefully with a chance of them loving it too? So we've got a number of things like that coming. Yeah. And I'm excited about it because Seth is a much better writer than David or I put together. So <laughs> uh, he, he knows what he's doing and he's good with the written word. And so that is going to be a great asset to Ragcast. And I'm excited about the different topics we've talked about. And I'm sure it will expand uh, over the years as things come along. But yeah, it's going to be kind of fun to fill in some of the everything in between parts of Ragcast. We do a lot of hunting and fishing specific type podcasts like today is going to be a very fishing specific podcast but it's nice to kind of fill in some of those gaps and talk about some of the other activities that lots and lots of people do so that it'll be fun i'm looking forward to it yeah me too so today i'm gonna put a disclaimer on this podcast for all of you out there listening that this podcast might upset you it's potentially upsetting but i do want you to think about this from more of a philosophical standpoint and i want you to hear us out and, and hear some of the logic behind it because we're going to jump into some of these myths is what i would call them in fishing and some of the things that just drive me absolutely bonkers about the fishing community and keeping not keeping fish we're going to jump into all those kind of messy areas and at least try to break it down to the ground level and have an intelligent conversation about it, which unfortunately I don't see a lot of. And <laughs> we're, 
we're going to have some fun with it too. But I would just say, keep an open mind. If you know this is going to tick you off or whatever, just you might as well stop listening. But I hope you do listen just to have an open mind and maybe hear some new perspectives. But Seth and I, we visit quite a bit. We've been friends forever. Feels like forever. It's been over 30 years. And so we talk a lot about the things that we go do and kind of the communities they're in. And fishing is something that Seth and I do often. And we have our different methods. I'm primarily a spinning rod bait caster kind of guy. And Seth is a fly rod bait caster kind of guy. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. we certainly have some different methods and we fish in very different places and have some different opportunities available to us. But fishing communities, fishing community, especially in freshwater, when you talk the Mountain West, and there are certainly some hot topics and some things that if you follow any of it on the social medias or if you watch any of the outdoor shows, you can see that there's certainly some strong opinions about, I mean, we can start here, Seth, is, you know, catch and release. It's one of those areas that's a very, I would say, probably the most triggering thing in fishing is catch and release, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I've I've become aware that that's a bigger thing. It's kind of funny, just for fair disclosure, for those people who are feeling a little bit like, am I going to be ticked off by this podcast? Just so you know where I'm coming from. Like, in my growing up, my introduction to fishing, both catch and keep and catch and release, were both part of what we did as a nor- on a normal basis. So it was totally normal to eat fish, and it was totally normal to have a day where you didn't keep any fish. And so it's come as something of a surprise to me that it's as contentious as it is. And I believe your background, you know, like from when we were kids and even when we lived in different states after that, like your background is similar. Like we're both coming from a perspective of having both of those things be completely normal for our growing up. Yeah, it always depended on the situation. You know, there were places we went where it was a meat hall. You went out to try to catch something to bring home and have dinner. And there was a little lake we used to fish that was full of yellow perch. And we'd go catch as many of those little yellow perch as we could. And we'd, we'd never hit our limit because in Wyoming, it's like 50. But, you know, you'd bring home maybe 20 or 25 eight inch perch and spend half a day cleaning them. (laughs) It takes forever, but I mean, they're delicious. So it was worth it. And that was just normal. Or you, you go to a place and you know, on a mountain stream and you catch a bunch of fish and put them all back. And again, I didn't really know about it until I started getting more into this world where you have people that it's like a religion, man. If you don't put the fish back in the water, or if you even hold it in a way that they deem inappropriate, I mean, you better have some armor because they're coming after you. And I mean, they've probably got pitchforks and torches and the whole thing. And I've seen it, unfortunately, I've seen it happen on the river where people are yelling at each other over it. But it's kind of this mentality, and, and we've talked about this before, you have the bell curve. On one side, you have catch and release only. That's the only way to do it. You better do it this way or you're a bad person. And then on the other end, you have... I'm keeping everything regardless, and I really don't care what you think. <laughs> and then you've got kind of the bell curve with the rest of us in the middle, where it is really dependent on what we're doing. And so I think the majority of people, I would say, are kind of more in that middle. But it seems like there's a lot more of this, like, you got to catch it and you know release it kind of thing. And they are very loud. It is a a pervasive thing. And so I just want to kind of start at the philosophical and ground level of like catch and release only. 
What are the implications of that? What do you think? Right. Well, and again, part of the reason for giving the background is like, I hope no one comes away thinking that I'm not pro catch and release in the right situation. And honestly, if someone never wants to keep a fish, I'm not fussed about that. I'm completely happy for someone to release all of their fish. But one of the things we, we talked about before is just the concept that it's a moral obligation to always release the fish. And one of the things that I find to be ironic about that is it's almost to say it's more immoral to catch a fish and then utilize it, or that's less moral rather, excuse me, that that's less moral than, I mean, honestly, kind of harassing an animal (laughs) and then letting it go for your own enjoyment. That seems to be one of the major kind of logical disconnects for me. Uh, You had a guest not too long ago talk about, and I know this person actually practices catch and release, but mentioned like we don't paintball elk. And what is the difference between those besides the legality of it's completely legal (laughs) to catch and release fish and you'll be in huge trouble if you go paintballing for elk. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's one of the ones that I really see as kind of a logical breakdown if you're talking about the philosophy of it. Because uh, as outdoorsmen, We all have to kind of make our peace or like confront some of the issues that we of the past time we do. We have an impact on the land. We have an impact on the animals and other things. And, you know, we have to come to peace with that somehow. What are you, I know you've thought about that particular thing a lot. Do you have more more thoughts on particularly like that it's good for fish to catch and release? Um, Because I, I, well, I know you do. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's. It's just an interesting conversation because as you and I have broken it down further and further, and as I've had other guests on and we talk about the issue, it really is mind boggling that it's become such a religious pursuit for people. Again, like you just said, like if you were to go out and paintball elk or mule deer right now in Wyoming, somebody would probably shoot you. Uh, We've had a horrible winter. And if you were harassing game right now, the hunting community would probably shoot you. I mean, they would be really frustrated. You'd go to jail, right? Like people would be very Mm -hmm. upset. I'm going to call it fly fishing community and bass fishing community. A lot of them are just really hardcore. I'm just going to catch it and put it back and that's fine. But they hold that as their moral high ground that, Hey, at least I'm putting it back. And it's like, yeah, you are, but you just wore it out pretty badly. And it, it still might die. There is a mortality rate for catch and release, whether catch and release fishermen want to admit it or not. You know, I was listening to Hank Shaw's podcast that you, actually turned me on to listening to and we've had him as a guest he had a gal from dnr in wisconsin and she talked about there's there's pretty good mortality on trout on catch and release you know bass probably not so much bass are pretty hardy but my goodness i mean trout are you look at them wrong and they die and i don't know it's it's hard for me to swallow that pill when i'm out on the reservoir and I'll go to a stocked fishery and I'll keep a limit of trout that are nice trout. I don't feel bad about it because I know what they're being managed for. I know about how long they're going to live. I know what the capacities are in that water. Again, I am a nerd about it and I spend way too much time on the Wyoming Game and Fish website, but at least I'm informed and it's okay for me to do it. They're in there to be harvested. And granted, there's there's other places you and I've been where I'm not going to keep certain fish. It's just not going to happen. They're going to get put back. Could be a, a really big walleye. Could be a lot of different things. But the mentality that 
people are more moral than others because they put all their fish back. I don't necessarily agree with. And I, I think that there is a lot of virtue in the people who are going out there and procuring their clean protein. I, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, just like with hunting. As long as you're following the rules and regulations and again, following what those wildlife and fisheries managers are paid to put out there for rules, I don't see what the issue is. But again, I'm not on the outsides of that bell curve either. So, And I, th- I think one of the things that can get lost in feeling strongly that people shouldn't be self-righteous and then use that self-righteousness as a bludgeon on people who are doing things that are okay because that's really maybe the bigger issue is like not just having a personal conviction but if there especially if there are some logical issues with that conviction the way that you interact with other human beings also there's a moral component to whether you're treating other people with basically with kindness or respect but that the thing about fish mortality was one that i actually thought was really eye-opening to me. We're not trying to deny best practices, but if you're going to be catch and release, like hopefully you're the kind of person who's like using barbless hooks or you've crushed the barbs on your hooks. Some waters require that anyway. Now, yeah, I know you know this, like there, you can mishandle a fish and ensure that it dies. So handling fish carefully is important. But uh, at the same time, we do want people to give space for people who disagree. So without denying best practice, I realized this was a very rambly sentence. <laughs> the idea, like to break it back down and ground it again, it's not about denying best practices. It is about respecting people who are doing something that's A, within the regulations, and B, maybe every bit as logically consistent as your desire to release every fish. That person who is keeping every fish probably can make an equally logical argument. And then most of us are somewhere in in between. Like, for instance, what are some of those examples of like a fish that you are going to keep, period, and a fish that you are absolutely going to release? Because I think this is intriguing. Yeah. Because I know you, there's both. There certainly are both considerations. So those of you watching on YouTube, there's a, there's a cutthroat trout behind my head (laughs) on the screen. That was the fish that I intended to release. I had every intention of putting that fish back. I got it unhooked, taking it out of the net, and it decided to flop out of my hands and whacked its head. And I wasn't going to put it back. I didn't feel good about that. So I harvested that fish. And was I right or wrong for that, right? Like that would have happened to anybody uh, or could have happened to anybody, right? And I know things happen when you go to release fish. Sometimes they don't cooperate quite like you think, and it's probably not best to put them back in the water, but I'll give you some, some key examples that we've covered on the podcast and some, maybe we haven't, but like I had Pete Mayna on early on in the podcast, Pete Mayna is a big muskie expert and he doesn't fish for muskies during the really warm periods of the year. And the reason for that is the, the mortality rate is like 90%. So you may go out and catch a really nice muskie and be really proud of yourself, but you probably killed it because it's going to give the thing about muskies. They give you everything they've got, everything in the tank. They fight like crazy. I mean, they are so fun to catch, but on the, on the other side of that, they wear themselves out and in that hot water, they just cannot recuperate. So they may swim off and then just die. 
Um, and unfortunately I've seen it happen to people and it's just a bad time of year to fish for them. So, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even fish for them in that time of year. So there's an example of one thing I wouldn't do is maybe just don't fish for them in that time of year. Same with trout. They're very sensitive to warm water. Right. It's probably not a good idea to fish for them in July and August. If you're intending to keep that fish alive, just leave them alone. Now, there are fisheries where they don't get stocked or they don't get stocked very much at all. And if that population is very restricted, like say they have a limit that's really low, maybe one fish per day, something like that, I may just do catch and release there. I mean, it's not going to kill me <laughs> you know, to, to put a fish back. I've done it many times. I'm just going to use my brain and say, this is going to be a catch and release day because this body of water is hard or expensive for the fishing game or game of fish to stock. So I'm going to use my head. I'm going to go out, maybe catch a few fish and put them back. There's also fisheries that are overrun with fish. All of us have probably seen that in the mountain West where you get to a lake or a Creek that is overrun with brook trout and their heads are about as big as the rest of their body. Keep some. Throw them in tinfoil, cook them on the campfire. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's a reason in places that there's limits like 16 <laughs> fish or something crazy, right? Like keep some, eat them. That's that's a great resource and it's fun too. Seth and I did that this last fall. You know, we had some brook trout, him and his wife and I, you know, we were on a backpack trip. It was great and had some mushrooms too. Yeah, we did. Um, but I, I think it really comes down to using your brain. I hate to say that because uh, it might sound kind of insulting, but really, I mean, all of us are smart enough to figure this out. If, if you take a little bit of time and you look at what the regulations are and what they're based on and ask, ask your biologist, you know, they have people that are paid to manage these bodies of water. Ask them why the, the regulation is what it is. Get some context behind it. Maybe there's too many predators in the water. Maybe they, you know, the walleyes, the pike or whatever need to be thinned down maybe it's lake trout like look at flaming gorge i mean the pup lake trout limit is quite a few fish and then bull lake which is close to here there's no limit on them like so be smart about it i would say is the main thing you don't want to go to a fishery that is let's just say it doesn't get stocked very often and maybe it's a trophy fish fishery and then keep tons of fish out of there that just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, it's like you may want that really cool stringer photo, but if you're breaking the regulations and you're keeping a bunch of fish, you shouldn't be. That's a problem. Right. So I don't know. Those are kind of some of the general thoughts that I have about that, that particular subject. But I mean, if fish are being stocked as a resource, as a stock and take type thing, it doesn't matter. Keep fish, release fish, do what you want to do. But, you know, I'm going to keep some to eat for me personally, and I'm going to release some too, just depending on the situation. Yeah, a couple of things that came to my mind in that conversation of fish that I'm going to keep, whether I was intending to keep fish or not, is one that I've have really damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I catch a lot of small trout. I don't know if I should be admitting that on this podcast. <laughs> you guys are always talking about how like you progress from catching, wanting a lot to catching a big one to catching that big one a certain way, man, I still want to catch 30 (laughs) fish. Like I get out fly fishing way too infrequently. And when I go like, particularly to some of my secret spots, what I'm, I would love to catch some 18 inch native cutthroat and I'm hoping to do that. But if I only catch one 18 inch native cutthroat on my fly rod, I'm going to be bummed because I don't get out. So I'm going to catch a lot of fish if I can. But some of those, especially if they're hungry trout, like you just, you damage them past the point where you can release them 
safely. And so I'm that would be one that I'm going to keep in addition to the things you talked. But it was very much like your cutthroat. If you if you've impacted that fish's ability to survive and the regs will let you keep it, then I'm going to keep that fish. A fish that I'm always going to release, like here, um, there are considerations on this other side. Um, we have a lot of heavy metal contamination from mm. mining. Yeah. I would love to catch. We had someone catch a 40 plus pound northern pike not far north from where I live. I would love to catch a fish like that. There's no way I would ever eat it. Um, it's just those apex predators with the with the contamination we have in our waters. Like I don't want to eat one. And so there's kind of like those are the things that when you get into these extremes on either side that we kind of been hammering on the catch and release only but for kill and eat only people too it's like the regs allow for recreational fishing without the intent to eat fish and while i really respect the position that you're going to just catch fish and eat them there are fish that you probably shouldn't be eating in my neck of the woods and it's yeah. just the reality of if you're going to go out there and fish you're going to have to release some either because you caught too many <laughs> or or that fish might actually not be safe to eat too the water is safe for you to recreate in it's beautiful it's great fun all the mental health benefits that we know that come <laughs> from being outside and not being stuck in front of a screen doom scrolling it's all there but you still shouldn't eat that fish so those are some that come to my mind one of the things i know you wanted to is just to delve into the idea of that harvesting fish is bad and you've talked about fishery management being one of those things like it just sparks in my mind you mentioned lake trout which i know pup lake trout are an issue in some of your waters we have a similar thing here with native cutthroat trout which the game and we call it fishing game here but my wyoming background makes me say it wrong <laughs> constantly and so now i've got this tick going yeah fishing game in the state of idaho would really like some of the pike reduced in mm -hmm. some of the waters where they're eating cutthroats we have the same sort of thing in the salmon river drainage uh, snake and salmon where uh, non-native smallmouth bass really love to eat salmon and steelhead fry. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're voracious predators, and so our, our limits and our management in order to keep some of those native fish uh, populations intact and growing, and so that people can enjoy them and catch and enjoy that resource, they would like a reduction in, the, in those predatory fish that aren't originally from that water system. So that's one of the things where it's like, Harvesting those fish isn't, you know, it just casts it in a different light when you think about, oh, there's this ancient thing that's been going on that's really cool. Well, we do have the longest run uh, for like seal, steelhead and salmon in the lower 48 right. here in Idaho. And that's a really cool thing that it's worth preserving. And if you can have a delicious bass dinner and think that you're doing some oh, small Seth. part in helping that. <laughs> you just made everybody cool. mad. <laughs> you talked about <laughs> eating a bass. Oh, goodness. No. Yeah, that's really bizarre to me because, uh, <laughs> like, they're basically like the regs, if you were to look at the limits and whatnot, they're. I know this is going to be shocking to some people, but they're. I love them, but Fishing Game considers them to be almost nuisance fish. Yep. They've stopped just shy of putting a kill order on and, like, a catch and kill order on those fish in some waters. 
Yeah, same with Northern Pike. I think Northern Pike are amazing to eat, but oh, they're so no, cool. Nobody seems to care if you eat them. I mean, there's a few people, <laughs> but like smallmouth bass. I mean, the bronze bass. You better not, better not be eating those. I mean, you get in big trouble. But I Send don't know. Send your hate mail to Patrick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> I won't read it. No, it, it's it's an interesting conversation because you're right. There are fisheries like we have Flaming Gorge that has too many pup lake trout and it has burbot and both of those in combination are affecting the kokanee which are also non-native hate to tell you guys that but kind of a fact the burbot have had an adverse impact on the smallmouth lake trout just eat whatever's in front of their face so they don't really care but it, it has had an impact and so you have a catch and kill order on burbot you have a take just about as many as you can on the pup lake trout because there's too many mouths to feed and not enough feed. It's so certain fisheries, it, catch and release can be kind of a negative thing as far as like, I guess it's kind of more neutral, but it's like, if you could have taken that home, you'd actually probably help the fishery. Does that make sense? Like if, yeah, yeah. if you took that fish home and you ate it, that would actually be a net positive for that body of water. Again, like I said, not all bodies of water are created equal. If you're up at Yellowstone Lake, they're going to want you to take as many lake trout as you can because they don't belong there. If you're at Bull Lake, they're going to want you to take lake trout. There are certain bodies of water that have way too many brown trout. So they want you taking the brown trout out. It just varies so widely depending on what fishery you're, you're looking at. Like Boysen Reservoir here is a perfect example of a fishery where the fisheries managers tolerate the walleye. And I think it's because of those of us who really love walleye like myself. But it, it, it really should be a sauger fishery. And it should be, you know, more of the native fish. And I, I think they just are really careful not to go after the walleyes because they realize that there's a lot of us that really, really care about our walleye. And they've been in there since the 1970s when they were stocked, but they haven't been stocked since. And so again, it just varies very widely depending on where you're at. Um, and I, I would hope that people would actually think about that when they go fishing. It's, it's like, you know, what, what is in this body of water, at least at the minimum. The next thing is, you know, maybe should I keep some, maybe should I put them back? That might be the next thing to think about, you know, when going to a new body of water, but do a little bit of homework. I mean, most states, I'm sure Idaho's this way. I'm sure they have in their regulations some information on it, and I'm sure that they have on their website quite a bit of information talking about, you know, the pike minnows, a big thing too, around certain parts of the U.S. They don't want pike minnows in there. It just really probably depends. the weirdest of the whole lot because in so many of these waters, they are the, they are the native fish, and it just seems to be like one that people are be to like just treat they're a threat to everything good and holy like <laughs> kill the pike minnows is like they've death to the pike as a native minnow. fish yeah it's funny the difference between between that and uh, how people feel about bass quite often i wonder if it'd they're be like the a, same thing be like a scene off a of gladiator kill 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 with the thumbs down you know kill all the pike minnows uh <laughs> it, it definitely is in the columbia well, and in the Columbia too, walleyes, they don't want walleyes in there. They, they're they happy to eat smolt, you know. It's like, oh, there's something easy to eat, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some implications there. But, you know, just to talk a little bit more about what you were talking about before, if you're eating like a 40-pound lake trout or a 40-pound pike or even a 10- or 12-pound walleye, it's not going to be healthy for you. I'm just going to tell you the contaminants that you're talking about, even in Wyoming, mercury. We have mercury warnings on Boysen Reservoir for predatory fish. 
Why is that? Because there's mercury in the system. And when those predatory fish eat all the little fish, they get it into their bodies and it stays there. And so you're eating something that is not healthy. If you're eating a, let's say a 16 to 18 inch walleye, there's a lot less of that contaminant in the fish because they haven't been around as long. So they haven't accumulated as much. And I can tell you they're going to taste better. So it's, it's one of those things of just, again, using your head and, and looking at it and thinking what makes sense. And, and I know even with big fish, there was a, there was an article I read not too long ago. There was a guy that caught it, this massive lake trout, huge lake trout. And they had trouble getting it out of the hole because it was so big when they were ice mm-hmm. fishing, they could hardly get it through. Well, it killed the fish getting the fish out. And so you should have read some of those comments, man. You would have think that, <laughs> that this guy just like murdered a whole bunch of people or something. I mean, people were infuriated about it. And it's like, you know, that stuff's going to happen though. I've fought some big fish. Like I can think of a big tiger muskie that I fought, got it released. And I was worried about it. Like Danny and I sat there for a good half hour with that thing and watched it. And it was finally okay. And it swam off and it was, it was fine. We didn't see it. We were there for another couple of days. So we know it survived. We didn't find it anywhere, but man, that was nerve wracking, you know, (laughs) and I felt really bad, but it's like stuff happens. Fish do die even the big ones, but boy, on social media, it was like, you'd have thought some major crime had happened. And it's sad to see that. And I do want to talk about this a little bit. I was at a, at a forum yesterday and the day before it was an outdoor recreation forum for the state of Wyoming. And they were talking about how do you get people in the outdoor world to come together? So they're talking hunting and fishing. They're talking snowmobilers, off-road vehicle people, you know, with their razors and motorbikes and all those kind of things. And then they were talking about water skiers and all this stuff. Like, how do you get all these people to get along and come to the table and, and work together? And I'm thinking, I can't even get fishermen to come together and talk about the issues and agree on stuff. Like this conversation we're having right now, I guarantee you there's people that are mad about what it, part of what we're saying or you know, really happy about it, whatever. It's a mixed well, we've bag. We've managed to say things from both sides. So we probably yeah. managed to anyone inclined to get angry is probably, they're probably mad angry. at this <laughs> point. But I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Right? Like it's, it's a daunting task and I'm going to share just a little bit here. This, this was, I was telling Seth, this was an interesting conversation that was happening and I probably should have stayed out of it, but I didn't. Um, but, uh, there was, yeah, I know I opened my mouth, but there was this post, somebody that I follow on Facebook, they posted some pictures of some fish and they happen to be big trout, right? Big ish trout. I would have, I probably would have considered them big trout. I haven't actually seen this. So big compared to a lot of what you catch most of the time and big, even compared to what (laughs) some of what I catch, but it's like, do you believe this is a such and such pound trout that deserved to be killed? When we have very few of this trout in this lake, despite intensive stocking efforts, this just makes me so mad and blah, 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 all that. And then some of these comments, right? Like, honestly, inland lake fish that live in lakes a while are more dense per inch in the lake than those browns. Those inland fish have to work a lot harder for food. Looking on the head of that fish, I'd say it's close to this many pounds. And then... Uh, this one says, no, it's not that many pounds. It's this many pounds. And it's like, you should, then another person, you should have kept the stupid thing and just ate it. Oh, that fish should have definitely been released. That guy's such a blankety blank. And then, uh, let's see, here's another one. 
it's probably only like six pounds. <laughs> you know, you got comments like that. Thick through the tail, it's this many pounds. These people need new scales. Ten and a half pound trout, this is what they were thinking, needs to swim one more year of egg production. It's so hard to tell from pictures. You know, there's just like all these comments and I'm just like, why are you guys wasting your energy on this? It just blows my mind. Like these people were obviously within the regulations to keep the fish that they kept. And then the comment that really got me was uh, this one. As far as killing the fish, I'm 150% on your side, especially with the circumstances that the fish 100% should have been released. And it's like, obviously, from the pictures, the fish was kept, right? But the statement is, that fish 100% should have been released. It's like, okay, based on what? what? What's your evidence to say that that person's bad for keeping? Is it against the regulations? And I, that was one of my questions, too. I did say that. I was like, so is it against the regulations? And if, it's, <laughs> and if you feel really strongly about it and you don't like the regulations, why aren't you trying to change it? Instead of showing sure this guy that, all I'm over. I'm sure that made everyone stop and be nice to each other. <laughs> it worked really well. We all sang Kumbaya. It was great. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, though, like that kind of stuff, it's just like it's destroying fishing. And, and I hate it. It's, it's uh, such a It's such a bizarre thing because I think we and we talked about this couple months ago you and i grew up where that thing in the area of fishing culture that we were in the bragging board was still still a really big deal mm-hmm. um and it was what i think would be by modern social media standards probably pretty tasteless there was a lot of blood in the pictures there was obviously signs that in the hunting photos that things had died violently and mm-hmm. um and same same for like stringers full of fish and whatnot but there was a but that was a completely normal thing and that's not to say that normal was correct but there was an understanding within the fishing community that we were part of that hey isn't that cool that they caught that big whatever it was or caught 50 bluegill and had a fish fry, you know, whatever that kind of thing. There was kind of a mutual celebration of that kind of stuff. You didn't have people standing by those bragging boards, sniping at each other. And it's funny, like I've noticed that those, they still exist in some places. They're still bragging boards, but they're a lot less common now. And there seems to be a lot less willingness to celebrate the success of others and a lot more willingness to anonymously rush to judgment on what other people are doing, to mind other people's business in that sense. Just as a helpful thing in the context of the philosophy of this, like, how do you think that came about where people were willing to go from something that was more communally celebratory, maybe, to something where there's definitely less of that now, and people are more entrenched in different camps than they used to be. I think that's a safe way of putting it. It's like, it's not that a lot of people aren't in the middle, but there's a lot more polarization on topics like this than when we were boys. Yeah, I think as we've grown up that things have been in the process of changing. I know tournament fishing is probably one of the biggest reasons for that is a lot of tournament angling used to be catch and kill because you basically caught a bunch of fish, put them on a stringer, you go way out those fish and they were toast. I mean, there was nothing, nothing (laughs) that could save them at that point, right. To release them. And then you kill a whole bunch of big bass out of a fishery or a whole bunch of big walleyes or whatever the tournament fishing was for. So you saw kind of a shift in the 90s especially 
early 2000s to get away from doing that and trying to do fishing tournaments that are much more either catch and release or keep them in, keeping them in a live well in an environment where they have at least a better chance of survival. But man, I'll tell you, I think that's one of the biggest reasons that it started was, was some of that. And then people got really radicalized about it. Right. Because I mean, back in the, back in the day, the sixties, seventies, people were keeping and eating muskies. If you kept and ate a muskie now, somebody would show up and shoot you probably <laughs> like that gets somebody really upset. Like even the muskie world's nuts. If, if you hold a muskie improperly or someone deems that you've held them improperly and you post a picture on Facebook or something, look out, man. I mean, it's coming and they're going to get their buddies too. It's, it's very much a bully type mentality. And in the, in the bait shops, like if, if you were to go in and do that back in the eighties, nineties and, and try to bully somebody, it's probably not going to end very well for you. But social media allows that distance for people to feel like that they can take these pot shots and and say some of these absolutely horrendous things about other people, calling their character into question, calling them horrible human beings because they have that separation. They feel safe enough to do so. But I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm seeing almost like a shift kind of coming back the other way a little bit. And it's because of this movement about knowing where your food comes from that there are more people going out to fish and procure their own protein. And they're like, no, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And I think that's why it's important to have a podcast like this one to just kind of talk through it because there really is nothing wrong with keeping fish at certain times. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with releasing fish either. And the sooner that people realize that, I think the better off we're going to be. Maybe it's it's just being kind, right? (laughs) And saying, you know how that fishery is probably not a good idea to catch or to keep a lot of fish, but maybe send them that message in like messenger, not posting it on their Facebook and then screenshotting it and posting it on your Facebook to talk about how horrible they were. I mean, that's, Mm. that's bullying. And I, I guarantee if you were to talk to most of those people, like, and ask them, are you okay with bullying? They would say, Oh no, bullying's horrible. Well, but you're, doing that <laughs> you know it's like you're bullying perfectly good people most of the time if you want to get mad about something get mad about the guy who kept 100 fish over his limit that's at least worthy of getting upset about it's just some of this stuff just gets so out of control it's sad for me because we're such a fractured community in the fishing side and we don't need to be it, it needs to be a much more inclusive type community of there are people that want to catch and catch and eat there's people that want to catch and release and both are fine. You know, no, I, I, I don't mind I think, to your point though. Like I don't mind. So go ahead, put them all back. That's fine. It leaves more for me to eat. I guess when I want to eat, you know, if it's a fishery that I want to harvest out of, but also it's not that big of a deal to me as long as you're, you know, not just wasting stuff. Cause that's one thing that does bother me is fishermen sure. who do the wanton waste thing you know, that catch fish and just leave them to rot or something like that. Like, that's not okay. Like it's a resource. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a carp, a pike, a a crappie. It it doesn't matter. That's wanton waste. That's just not good stewardship. You know, there are uses for carp and we can talk about that later and suckers and other fish. Don't just waste stuff and don't teach your kids to do it. I think one of the things that kind of gets lost in the shuffle on this whole thing is people start sharpening their knives to go after each other on 
it's not that there isn't any moral significance to what we do in the outdoors at all. Like we are absolutely not saying that. Um, but when people start to like get ready to go to war with each other, I think one of the things that gets lost in the shuffle is that fishing for most of us is something we do for fun. Right. Um, and you mentioned the connection to professional angling that so many people in the outdoor space are trying to either professionally or non-professionally like manage an image and either make a living doing it or build an identity out of it. The reason I want to teach someone how to fish is because there's something magical when the rod has something on the other end of it. Amen. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and this is a recreational pastime for the vast majority of people who do it. We talked about people who are using that, like bullying people about holding their fish out in fish photos. That's the one that just truly blows my mind, particularly when it's like a kid doing it. And I can understand if someone is being intentionally deceptive, if they're an outfitter and they want you to think that they have 50 pound yellow perch. (laughs) Like if they're trying to like make money off of, off of stupid people, by like trying to convince them that there are 50 pound yellow perch to be had as an extreme, like ridiculous example, then yeah, I can see being not okay with that. You've talked to me about seeing stuff on social media and I've seen it where like someone's got a really nice fish and they're displaying it by holding it out and yes, making it look as big as possible. That was part of the fun for us. Yeah. We, uh, we found ways of making like tiny fish look humongous. <laughs> we weren't trying to rip anyone out of their money by coming and use our guide service or anything, but that was part of the fun of fishing was I remember watching old uh, in fisherman TV shows and whatnot. And those guys weren't being dishonest about the nice fish they were catching, but you could see the way they had lip land something and swing it out toward the camera. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> they were masters at it and it was part of the fun. And so I think that's one of the things, like, as we, there are so many things going on in the world that probably do warrant your moral outrage. Someone keeping a fish and eating it or releasing a fish or holding it out, God forbid, in a way that, that makes it look like it was a whopper. Um, <laughs> maybe it's worth us all being reflective and saying, like, is this worth ruining someone's day or tainting someone's memory? with their kids or just like their own memory of a time that they got to be outside and get away from things and unplug a little bit. Is it worth ruining their memory over, over your social media comment or your sniping? It's like, I think we'd probably, if we put ourselves in other people's shoes, knowing that people do these things for a variety of reasons, whether it's to get good food or whether it's just to de-stress after a hard day, like we wouldn't want to take that away from other people. Um, and so that, I think that like considering our impact on other human beings is more morally significant, again, not saying that how you treat animals and how you treat fish isn't significant, but how you treat your fellow human beings who are behind, like behind those photos, who are like using the fly rod or the bait caster, like that's actually truly more important. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. There's, there's a couple of things that do bother me when you talk about the misrepresentation of the fish. So if you're doing a master angler program and your fish isn't actually that long, but you're trying to make it look that long so you can get the recognition, that makes me mad. 
You know, I mean, that's, that's something that I intentionally go out and try to catch master angler catches that are legit for that purpose of, of accomplishing that. And if you're going to taint it by submitting fish that aren't that size, that, that makes me upset. Or, you know, the people that to your point are financially gaining by misrepresenting what they've caught. That's not okay. If they're just holding out a fish to make the fish look big for a picture and they're they're just having fun. Who cares? You know, I, I, it just drives me nuts to read some of these comments. I'm just like, nice fish. It may be like a two pound rainbow and they've got it held out and they hit their fingers really well. And it looks like a 12 pound rainbow. I don't really care. I know the difference, you know, it's like, whatever, it's fine. You know, well, and even if you didn't, so what? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like I caught that state record fish not too long ago that is one of the biggest white suckers ever caught. I held it out as far as I could. Of course, I want to make it look big. That's part of the I may, fun. I may Who have cares? pointed out to my in-laws. Was it my in-laws? I pointed out to someone who's like, wow, that's huge. It's like, yeah, look at those fingers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't quite hide them. He's got um, big hands, but they're not that big. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the that big white sucker. I mean, I'm holding it out as far as I can hold it. But I mean, it's a six pound, eight and a half ounce digital scale verified photo. Like I had to do all this documentation for IGFA for that thing. It's like, it's verified. I'm not going to misrepresent it. It is what it is. Um, but I'm going to make it look really good for my photos because that's what I like to do. And I don't see a problem with that. I just think that the the killjoy mentality of some of the people in our country is just like, Oh, there's somebody having fun. Let's see if I can squash the fun, you know, and come over and bonk them on the head. It's like, there's way more important things you could be worried about right now. Uh, it, you know, we, and David and I have talked about this on the podcast. Somebody shoots a spike, you know, elk or, you know, a, a four corn deer and that, and that's their harvest for the year. And they're within the regulations and doing what, what what's required. People, oh yeah! If you're watching on YouTube, you can see watching, this. Can it's see a monster my, my set. Massive trophy. No, hold it out. You got yeah. <laughs> to hold it out so it looks really big. But I mean, there's it's nothing. My little four corn whitetail from a couple. Yeah, years and there's ago. there's nothing wrong with that. And you know, it's uh, it's just the people that waste all that emotional capital on these kind of things. It's just it's sad. Um, you know, I, I, I hearken back to the reality of our world that there are 20,000 children that die every, every single day because they don't have good, clean drinking water and food, right? Like that's a reality, a daily reality in the world. I would rather be upset about that than be upset about how somebody held a fish, but that's just my personal. Well, and even, even more to the point, like there are ways that you can, instead of just getting upset about the things that are important, like clean water, there are organizations and it's a Google search away quite often. And I don't want to trivialize how difficult it can be to find reputable people who are helping um, because it can be challenged, but that's something worth researching and spending time in, like better than just getting mad about the things that are wrong in the world. Like you could just use that energy to do something about it. What people do either catching or releasing their fish should be way down on the triage list. We've got better things to do. At the same time, I would love to see fishing community be more one of those things where we could genuinely just be happy for other people like get to do 
cool things. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things about human nature that's just unfortunate. And I see that in myself too, where like my first reaction when I see something that someone else got to do isn't necessarily happiness for them. That's a character flaw in me. <laughs> that's not, that's usually not a problem with the other person. And so whether it's catching a huge fish or getting to go on vacation, whatever those things like within the outdoor community, we have enough of a common experience. Like we ought to be able to share the parts that we meet on, mm-hmm. you know, instead of polarizing on stuff that we disagree on. And yeah, I think across the spectrum, things like when someone goes and spear fishes a bunch of trophy, trophy fish in a fishery where that doesn't allow for spear fishing, we all get bent out of shape about that a little bit. It's important to recognize that people who are abiding by the game regulations are not that person, even if they're doing yeah. something that you you wouldn't do yourself. Let them be. Yeah, and if you are just like, man, I, I am really concerned about the fact that this person, you know, is keeping this size fish, and I don't think that size fish should be kept out of that body of water. So, what are you doing about it? Like, are you advocating? Have you talked to your fisheries biologist to see if it even matters? Maybe you don't even know. Maybe that fishery has. 10,000 other fish just like it and it's not hurting anything like that's the part that I think that people need to start focusing on is instead of griping and making somebody just the enemy on Facebook and ripping them to shreds and tearing their character down go ask some questions first you know and maybe okay let's say you know the answer and you know that there's very few fish like that if they're still within the regulations don't even bother what are you accomplishing? You're not doing anything other than showing that you're a bully and you're being mean. So, uh, you know, I just would encourage people find a way to be, make a positive difference. And speaking of that, I do want to announce we, we have a, a cool event coming up in partnership with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department here locally. Free Fishing Day in Wyoming is on June 3rd this year. And we also have our Kiwanis Kids Fishing Derby here in Riverton. The Saturday before that, on May 27th, we're going to clean up the rendezvous fishing ponds where all the kids come to do the fishing derby. And we need some help cleaning up fishing line, beer cans, all the lovely things that people leave behind um, and do some actual stewardship work. So if you're interested in doing that, you can go to radcastoutdoors.com and sign up. Now, granted, I know it's a pretty local thing and you may be listening somewhere else, but if you are listening somewhere else, maybe you organize something similar. You know, go out and clean up a clean up a waterway. You know, sponsor a kids fishing derby. Do something like that. Make a positive difference. Make David happy and pick up some worm carts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pick up the what is it? The Trash a Lake uh, starter pack, which is like uh, the, the cigarette cartons, worm containers, and a monster, monster, monster energy drink. Yeah, but seriously, get involved in your community. You don't like something? Fix it. Don't be a part of the problem. I think that's probably the best thing I can say about it. And again, if you're in Riverton on May 27th and you want to help out, we'd love to have you come down and help pick up. It's going to start at nine o'clock and go till noon. And the Game and Fish says they're going to buy lunch for us. So let's hope they do and let's hope it's good. Um, (laughs) But now I'm pretty excited about that because it really is about if you're going to do something, do something positive, right? Don't do something to destroy someone's character. We always used to call it in the corporate world, character assassination and it doesn't take any moral courage to destroy someone's reputation behind their back and it's unfortunate 
Well, and I just like it comes down to me like because I'm not for a variety of reasons, including the kind of stuff we're talking about. I don't really do social media anymore. That we do lose track of the fact that there's a human being on the other end of a lot of these things, and I think my the thing my mind keeps on coming to is like we do a lot of the things we do in the outdoors for the experience and for the memory, the ongoing memory. And you have the power to really change someone's memory of something that was valuable to them. Not that there's never a time to speak up about stuff, but we should tread lightly when we're dealing with people's memories and their experiences. That should be something that carries weight with us as well. And so what a great thing to be able to do something better than trolling people online to go and uh, (laughs) clean something up and give kids an excellent experience fishing. Sounds great. It's going to be awesome. My kids look forward to the Derby every year. It's just a, it's a fun experience to get them outside and I enjoy it. You know, I get to watch them fish and see them progress as they have. I mean, I have a picture from seven years ago when we moved up here and uh, the kids are so small and now they're getting so big. It's just like, holy moly, I'm getting old. Uh, (laughs) But they've really improved as anglers and they really care about fishing and they care about the environment and being a good steward of the really cool resources we have. So it's, it's a pretty exciting deal. They really care about outfishing dad, but so far they're not doing so good this year. Yeah, so catching that state, well, those two state records, the kids are like, I'm going to beat you. It's like, all right, well, bring it on. You got to show up first. Because <laughs> a couple of How times. How many years before they have to find their own fishing spots? Uh, like, I know right now you're still hooking them up with locations, but how many years before the competition gets really serious? I think I'm going to have to kick Leah out of the nest here pretty quick. She's 13, so. <laughs> Uh, she's going to get booted out of the nest here pretty quick. <laughs> no, we're going to, we're going to all do some, we're going to do some serious exploring this year and trying some new places. I've, I've been talking to the fisheries folks, talking to some other friends and just kind of looking at the maps and doing lots of different research on my own to, to try some new places, try for some new species. And so we're going to get out and do some things this year. It'll be fun. I know uh, it's kind of a weird thing to bring up at the end of a catch and release, or at least ostensibly on a catch and release podcast. <laughs> um, but I, I know you always want to throw some things out knowledge-wise about uh, eating uh, and eating wild things. I just learned something cool. I figured this might be some knowledge that if you could edit this out if you want to, but I learned something cool. My, I have a brother who did a bunch of spear fishing on the coast and he got a bunch of this white lean fish. I think it's mainly greenling mm-hmm. um, that he gave me and they don't like it as much because the texture is soft. If you just like do it in a deep fat fryer or whatever. So he was going to turn it into like, frankly, what I consider an abomination of just dehydrated fish leather <laughs> stuff is absolutely appalling (laughs) like just think of like dry like if you found like a carp that had been thrown up on the bank and the skin had dried off kind of thing like that's basically what joel's fish leather is a little bit like (laughs) so he gave a bunch of it to me um to smoke and anyone who smokes fish probably knows that uh, a lean fish is not what should be going into your smoker you should be throwing in pup lake trout um or that sort of, that sort of thing. Something um, oily. I had, I had this fish. Um, I told Joel I would experiment with it, 
but it's a lean fish. So what I did is I brined it like I would anything else I would be smoking, but I did it for a shorter period of time. I did it for six hours instead of overnight or for a day, pulled it out, let it sit and dry out a little bit, but you still don't have fat. So what I, what I learned um, is if you put grapeseed oil over the top of that fish, grapeseed oil will dehydrate a little bit mm-hmm. instead of like a olive oil or vegetable oil, it'll actually get tackier and you, you get closer to what you would get with a fatty fish, smoked it up, hmm. probably not the best way to eat that fish. But if someone in the podcast world finds that they have a whole mess of leaner fish and they just have more than they can possibly deep fat fry or freeze or for whatever reason they want to give it a shot um grapeseed oil that's uh, interesting will allow it to actually catch the smoke and was able to give it some of it to my brother and it firmed it up to where they they could actually use that resource and eat it and enjoy it so Mm. thought you'd be interested to hear that knowing that you're kind of a master smoker (laughs) (laughs) Um, in the fish world and we've been talking about experimenting with stuff for years now and that was something that i tried and actually turned out super well that's really cool yeah i would have never thought of grapeseed oil i have some and i have avocado oil i wonder what avocado oil would do now you got a little bit different flavor but i bet it'd work i i i got onto this whole thing because i actually smoke mushrooms and of course most mushrooms have no fat at all and if you don't add some fat to them, if you don't throw oil over them, it becomes the most disappointing. You can turn a morel mushroom into just cardboard uh, yeah. and a smoker. It is the most disappointing thing ever. But if a little oil on it to catch the smoke, you can actually, you can even smoke a mushroom. So maybe not the best way to do it, but if you've got more than you know what to do with. Mm-hmm. So It's anyway. a good preservation method, right? Smoking is is a great way to preserve food and you and I do that a lot with fish. So yeah, I'm going to have to give that a shot at some point. I don't know when, but at some point, when I want, usually if I'm catching something that doesn't have a lot of oil in it, I put it in the oil. <laughs> fish fry. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully I'll be doing that soon with walleye. The ice finally came off here and it's almost May. Ugh, it's been a rough winter, uh, but the ice finally came off. They got the docks in the water so we can get the boats out and start playing around and go, go chasing after some walleyes and some crappies and things like that. Throw so, some PK lures at them. Yeah, there will be some PKs for sure. And speaking of that, this time of year is really good for the spinajig. If you want to go catch early season walleyes in the shallows, spinajig tipped with a minnow or like a berkeley power minnow or something like that get out there and try it it works so i'll be doing that here soon now that i know the ice is actually off i'm going to be going so it'll be it'll be fun but no seth man i really appreciate you taking the time to uh jump on the podcast and talk about a subject that quite frankly is pretty controversial i don't know why it's so controversial but it is and it, it'll be interesting. I hope people understand it and take this for what it is. It's it's a discussion about both sides of the issue and really about, at the end of the day, stewardship of, of our waterways and, and also being kind to one another, <laughs> which is something we, we all could see an improvement on for sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me again. It sure is fun when I get to spend some time 
time with my buddy, even even remotely. So hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again in person. And uh, looking forward to collaborating with you on some on some content for the blog too. Yeah. Speaking of that, if you haven't subscribed to our email list, you can do that on our website. You'll get a copy of the blog that way. We'll also have them on the website at radcastoutdoors.com. So if you haven't done that, go subscribe to our email list. You'll get a notification when episodes come out, blog posts, giveaways, all those kind of things from Radcast. So go subscribe. It takes like two seconds. Well, it's probably a little longer than two, but it doesn't take very long. And I do have to call this out before we get off the podcast. Those who are watching on YouTube, you can see this really cool brook trout behind Seth that he carved out of wood. And I watched him catch the actual fish here in Wyoming in a float tube. And it was hilarious because it was turning him around in circles and towing him around in the water. And he was hooting and hollering and having a great old time. But behind me, I also have two other of Seth's uh, hand carved fish. So he, he, there's a tiger muskie, which is one of his originals up here in the back on the pedestal. And then on the wall, there's a little grass pickerel that he did for Danny Curtola. And, uh, I kind of inherited that pickerel. So, uh, we have three of your carved fish on the screen for the podcast. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and <laughs> if you've never seen his work, he does absolutely amazing wood carved fish. So, Good on you, Seth. That's uh, I I could never do that, man. There's no way. <laughs> Not until your kids are out of the house, anyway. <laughs> how many? So, how many hours do you think that that brook trout took to to do? You know, I never know the answer to that question. I I think it was comfortably over forty, but and that's working I never, hours. I never keep. Yeah, I never keep track. It sure is a fun memory, though, and I'm I'm tickled to have. You know, just a, a visual reminder of a really good day on the water. Yep. That was a really cool fish. I'll never forget that because you were so excited and it was so cool to watch. Uh, it was another one of those fun adventures that we took. So, all right. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap things up again. Thanks, Seth, for coming on the podcast. And everybody, thanks again for listening. And we hope that we didn't scare you off too bad. So, thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt, or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.